Well, I also want to welcome you here today to our Cornerstone service on Sunday morning. Thanks for being here. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. If you are a first-time guest with us or a returning guest with us, thanks for being here today. We appreciate uh, you being here, but also I, I want you to know I appreciate the chance to share with you. Uh, one quick word for you I want to lift up in your bulletin. Uh, you may have seen that today at 3 p.m. is our church conference, and if you have no idea what that is, uh, every year we get together in January uh, to affirm the work that our stewardship team and our executive lay leadership team has done in creating our mission and ministry budget for 2017. And as a church body, we come together uh, to affirm that. And so we'll do that today at 3 p.m. Uh, in our chapel. Everyone is encouraged uh, or invited to attend and uh, all members are able to vote uh, for that as well. So I want you to know about, about that important uh, gathering that will happen this afternoon. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you did not bring your Bible with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. And in that blue Bible, you will find 2 Timothy chapter 3 on page 1853 in that Bible. I want to encourage you to not only find that uh, 2 Timothy 3, but also locate this insert that you received in your bulletin today. Uh, it has at the top of it the question that we want to look at today, which is this really basic question, how do I read the Bible? So if you're new, what we've been doing for the last few weeks, so we've been talking about the Bible, and we've been talking about it because we see the Bible as one of the most underutilized resources for anyone who has the goal of knowing Christ more tomorrow than you do today. And we've set that as our goal for the year, for all, for our entire church together, we want to know Christ more tomorrow than we do today. And so we thought it was appropriate to start the year by looking at one of the resources that we all have, uh, and if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one, uh, your own Bible, uh, a resource that we have to achieve that goal. We want to look at the idea and, and, and talk about the idea that many people feel ill-prepared uh, when it comes to actually investing in reading uh, that resource that you have called the Bible. So as you look at this question, uh, here's what I want you to recognize in the context of the series that we're in. We want to increase your confidence in reading the Bible. We want to increase your desire. But this message today and the message I'm going to share with you next week on wrestling with the Bible, these are the two messages that will determine whether this series has any lasting value in your life. In other words, in six months or in a year, this might be a series that you would look back on and you say, that's pretty good. I didn't fall asleep during those five weeks. I like that. That was awesome. Or it could be a series that you look back on and you could think, wow, I really started doing, doing, doing things differently because of that series. My life changed because of that series. And what will determine that is what we're talking about today and what we're talking about next week. Everything that we've done in the weeks leading up to here, I think it's helpful. I hope it's been encouraging to you, but this is really where we make a decision together. Is this going to be something that has lasting value in our lives as we look at what is a very, very basic question? And as we begin to think about this question, let me just give you first, I need to share with some of you a word of apology 
and with some of you, well, really with all of you, I need to share a word of warning as well. So first, the apology. Some of you today may walk away from this and say, that was really basic. Like, why did we even need to talk about that? That seemed like, how do you read the Bible? You open up and read the Bible. Like, it maybe just seems so simple and straightforward to you. This may already be something that you are daily invested in doing. And you may find yourself wondering, well, why did we talk about that in church? Uh, I'll confess to you that according to my recollection, I've never heard a sermon on this basic question, how do I read the Bible? But here's what I know. Serving as a pastor, many of you have no idea how to do this. And here's why. Because no one's ever talked about it. (laughs) You've never heard a sermon on it. This is one of those things that in the church, we tend to assume that everyone knows, and there are many who don't know. And so if you walk away from today and you think, wow, that was so easy. I don't even know why he needed to to go through with that. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. You need to go tell someone, thank you. Because someone taught you something and gave you a resource that many people, many other people in your life have not received. And and because of that, they've had had a real struggle with this, this question. Okay? Now, here's the warning. I need you to understand this is a dangerous message, okay? And uh, here's the danger in this. Today, I'm going to share with you a couple of principles that I hope will be very helpful and very practical as you think about investing yourself on a daily, consistent basis in reading the Bible, regardless of what length of time you might give to that. I hope that you hear something today that if you do not already invest in this practice, you might think, I might try that tomorrow. And, and, and I have uh, what I think are some, some, some principles that I think can help, help me through that. But in sharing with you some of those principles, I'm also going to have to tell you and share with you some of the expressions of those principles in my own life. And because we are different people, some of this is going to work for you if, if all you do is look at the expressions and some of it won't work. So here's how I encourage you to think about this. I really believe that God will develop a relationship with you that is personal to you. And here's how I'll explain that to you. I have a 13-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son. And if you were just to see a picture of them, you would say, wow, they're brother and sister. I mean, they, they, they look very much alike. But here's what I will tell you. They are very different, okay? They are different people. They have taught us uh, as parents, and if there's other parents out there who you have more than one child, you can just say amen at any point uh, during this, this section. They've taught us that children do not come in one size fits all right? They're different. They're unique. They think differently. They process differently. They, they communicate differently. They hear things differently. And so, uh, as their parents, one of the things that we have learned is that if we really want to communicate something to them, sometimes we have to communicate to them in a slightly different way. If we want to be helpful to them, we have to be helpful to them in sometimes a slightly different way because they're unique and special. And guess what? All of you are also unique and special people. You're different. And here's the good news. God knows that about you. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how you think. He knows how you feel. He knows what's going on in your heart and in your, in your mind. Even in those moments when you, quite, you can't quite wrap your head around what's going on in your heart or in your mind. And so the relationship that God develops with each of us, I really believe it's personalized to each and every one of us. And so what that means is when you hear someone else, whether it's me or anyone else in your life, when you hear them give expression 
to the way in which their relationship with God works. Here's the danger. The danger is you could walk away and say, well, mine should work that way too. Why, why didn't I have a moment like that? Why doesn't my, my time in the Scriptures or any other category, any other practice for life, why doesn't it look exactly like that? And the reason is, is because they're not you, and you're not them. And even more dangerous, you may have done this in your life. I know I have. You may look at someone else, you see their practice, and then you see your own, and you think of yourself as somehow less because it's not quite the same as someone else. So I want to encourage you to listen very carefully for the, for the principle that we're going to talk about today. And as you hear the expressions that I'm going to share with you, that I'm only sharing just to kind of help you understand the principle, be very open to the idea that the expression of these principles in each of our lives looks different because we are all different people. And this will make a little bit more sense as we move through this. But first, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at these words that Paul shares with a a much younger man named Timothy, uh, beginning uh, in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, every once in a while, I know that you hear a passage of Scripture read in church, and you think to yourself, oh, oh, I've heard that part. It's a passage, maybe it's five, six, ten verses long, whatever, however length it is, but somewhere in there you think, oh, I, I know that verse. And if that happened for you today, it's probably right here. This is probably the verse that you have heard before because it's one that's often quoted to speak about the subject we're talking about today, why it's important to invest in the Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God uh, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in hearing this before, you may have perhaps misunderstood the intent of this particular text. Remember, this is Paul, and he's speaking to the younger man, Timothy, and he is speaking to him. He's sharing this insight with him because he sees Timothy as a future leader in the church, someone who has great potential. And so he's encouraging him to invest in the scriptures when it says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is talking about Timothy. He's talking about the future that he believes God has in store for Timothy. He wants Timothy to be ready for that good work. And so this idea of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness is important to hear that Paul is directing this towards Timothy. In other words, Paul is not saying you should really, really know your Bible. Because if you do, you can tell everyone else in your life what they are doing wrong. Some of you may be disappointed that that's not the intent, but it's not the intent. Isn't that more fun, right? I mean, I love telling other people what they're doing wrong, but no, no, no. This is about teaching, rebuking, correcting, training you. (laughs) This is about allowing the Scripture to speak into your life, to rebuke you, to correct you, to train you, to teach you. We make space in our life to invest in the Scriptures because of how the Scriptures turn us 
uh, away from our self-centered ways into a very, very different way. We give them space to, to speak into our life. And on that notion of uh, space, well, actually before I get to that, the reason I wanted to share this with you is to think about this goal. Uh, I want you to think about the goal of reading the Bible as the formation of a heart that leads to the living of a holy life. It's not just about more information. It's not so that you'll be really good at Bible trivia. Because if you are good, no one will want to play with you, okay? That's not the purpose. That's not the point. The point is the formation of a heart that leads to the living of a holy life. So let's look at a few principles. The first one is to embrace sacred space and to embrace sacred time. And we're going to look at these backwards in reverse order so that we can deal with the most uncomfortable one first. So if this is not a part of your life right now, I already know why. I already know exactly what you would say as to why this is not something that you invest in on a regular basis. Your, I'll use the word excuse, is the same excuse that I give when there is something that I know would be good for me in my own life, but I'm not doing it. I say, I can't make the time, right? I mean, some of you are thinking, this guy has no idea what my life is like. I have three kids. I run a full-time shuttle service. Uh, my, my job is overwhelming. My to-do list is way too long. He works one day a week, maybe two. How does he know about my life? <laughs> right? Some of you actually wrote that down on your piece of paper and showed that to your neighbor, right? Like, what is he talking about? He doesn't understand how busy I All he has to do is just sit at home and read the Bible. I mean, that's all he does, right? <laughs> There's no time. I cannot make the time. And, and here's the first thing I want to say. You're correct. You're absolutely right. You cannot make time. That is the awful, awful news of being a human being, isn't it? At the end of the day, you cannot make more time. You cannot make more time. You cannot pause the clock so that you can work that extra hour at work and still get home to your family at the time that you want to. You, you, you cannot pause the clock so that you could squeeze in that thing before that next thing that you have uh, agreed to do. You, you cannot make more time. And when we think about adding to our life, that's what we always say. We say, well, God, man, that'd be great. I'd love to do that, but I just, I can't. And you can't make the time. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. But every single day, you get to choose how you spend your time. Every day. Every single day, we make uh, so many decisions about how we spend our time. Some of them are very intentional, thought out. I'm going to give this time here, and some of them are mindless. We're not even aware of it, but it's still a decision. It's a decision that we make about how we spend our time. Your life is your time, and you spend your life, you spend that time in each and every moment of your life. You cannot manufacture it, but you do get to choose how you spend our time. And here's where we may want to just kind of squirm in our seat a little bit. This is true about me, it's true about you. We spend our life on what we believe is valuable. We spend our life on what we believe is valuable. The decisions that we make about our time are made according to what we think is valuable. And it may not make sense to anyone else, it may not even make sense to us, but it's true. 
Somewhere in our hearts, somewhere in our heads, we have decided that whatever it is that we're investing ourselves in, we've decided that this has value to us in your life, uh, value to us in our life, and so we, we give it the most precious resource that we have. Here's another way of saying this. When we don't spend time on those things that we say are valuable, we are deceiving ourselves. When we don't spend time on what we say is valuable, we are lying to ourselves, we are deceiving ourselves. That might be something in your life. And you may say all day long, this is valuable, but if it gets no time, it's not valuable. You're lying to yourself. It may be a relationship in your life. And you may say all day long, this is valuable to me. But if it doesn't get any time, you are deceiving yourself. And what may be a little bit more uncomfortable about that idea is that if it's a person, they've already figured that out, even if you're not aware of it yet. Because relationships, the currency of relationships is time. It's how we say what's, what's valuable in our life. We spend our life on what is valuable. So what does it mean to claim sacred time? When you claim sacred time, you are connecting what is the most precious resource of, our, of your life with what many of us would say is the most precious relationship in our life. And the way we do that is the same way we do that with other relationships. We make an intentional decision to say, I'm going to invest in this time. I'm going to say this is valuable. I'm going to consistently return to this as a pattern in my life because this is a valuable relationship and this is worth my time. It starts with simply acknowledging that we have a decision in this process, and we actually have the time. If you didn't have time, you wouldn't have any relationships in your life, because relationships run on time. If you didn't have any time, you wouldn't know anything that's going on in the world, because you wouldn't have any time to figure out any of those things. If you didn't have any time in your life, you would not know what happened in the latest episode of that favorite TV show that you have, but somehow you do know. If you didn't have any time, you would not know about that new funny cat video that you saw on Facebook and you shared with everyone. And did you see that? Wasn't that funny? Yeah, it was funny. And you had the time to share it. You had the time to share with your friend groups uh, that you, uh, with, in that post where you said, I, I don't have any time. You have time. You choose how you spend your time. Let's talk about space so we can all feel better about ourselves. What do we mean by space? Space is taking a, a physical space in your life and claiming it as sacred space. So be impressed, this is mine, okay? Now again, don't, don't pay attention as much to the expression of it. Think about the principle, but here's an expression to help you make sense of it. This is a chair that we got when uh, my wife and I got married. Uh, I, I got it from Stephanie's dad. His mom had bought, uh, her mom had bought dad this chair to get rid of the ugly, oversized, lazy boy. He hated it. I mean, look at this small chair. So eventually he got rid of that and they recovered the old lazy boy. That was their compromise. But I got this, uh, this chair. It's falling apart, but I love this chair. We will never get rid of this chair. Do you see how patterns repeat themselves? Anyways, uh, uh, th this is where I come uh, to invest 
this time. This is my chair, and next to this chair, I have a few other things that, that are meaningful to me. So my kids get me a coffee mug every year with pictures uh, for Christmas. So I have uh, some of the last years there. Uh, I have a little wood carving here in the middle, and some of you can see that that says Jesus right there. Um, uh, it's missing a little piece here. I, I got that when I was a kid. I have no idea how old it is. If you can't read that, just look at Pastor Johnny's arm. He's got a tattoo of it. Um, Here's a cross I got from Africa. Uh, This is a little sprig of uh, 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 pine needles. And when we were in Guatemala uh, last November, everywhere we went to see the kids that we are supporting with Zoe, they had pine needles all over the floor. And we found out that the reason for that uh, is because uh, uh, pine needles are a symbol of celebration. And so uh, they had those everywhere, and I grabbed a little bit. This is actually, this is really cool, and and probably illegal, but I did it anyways. Um, When we were in the Garden of Gethsemane last February, they were trimming the olive trees. And so this is a little bit of olive branch from the Garden of Gethsemane that I just put in my pocket there and brought through customs, and no no one got too mad at me. Here's my coffee cup, very important. Okay. This, these are post-it notes, very sacred to me. Here's, here's why these are here, and here's why I want to point this out, because some of you are under the false impression that when the pastor reads the Bible, the angels start singing, and there's a light that shines in the room. It's like the Holy of Holies, and no one can come in. You've got to shroud your face. Like, no, that's not, that's not what happens. Here's what these are here for. When I read the Bible, one of the things that I've learned about me, maybe you have the same problem, I am easily distracted. Sometimes butterflies float through the room, and I go, oh, yeah, you know, I, there's things that, that, that float into my mind. And, I, you know, I'll be sitting there on a Tuesday, and I'll think, man, I got to go to work in four days, so I got to, you know, get this thing done. <laughs> and so I'll just, here, here's what I have learned. The way in which I stay focused in this practice is I have a little post-it note, and I, I thought I brought the one from this morning. Um, I have a little post-it note that, that I probably lost, and now I'm really worried because I wrote down some things on that, on that post-it note. But anyways, uh, I write down things that are not what the moment's about to get it out of my head so that I can go back to what uh, I'm doing. So if you've ever thought, oh, I, I, I struggle to pray because then my mind wonders, well, so does mine. Uh, but it's a way in which of just claiming that sacred space. Now, As you see this, again, open to the idea that the expression of that may look very different in your life than it does in mine. And also, don't misunderstand uh, this to say that this is the only place that God will speak to you, is in your sacred space. That's, that's That's not the point. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is sacred. Every moment of your life is sacred. You don't have to go to a certain time, and uh, you don't have to go to a certain sacred space. I have a sacred time, and I have a sacred space, but God speaks outside of those times. The reason that we have sacred space like this place here is because when we come in here, we come in here with a little bit different attitude, and a little bit different posture, and a little bit different awareness, and it's the same thing with sacred space. It's about returning to a place that you claim as holy, recognizing that every space is holy, but this is the space that I want to enter into in a little bit, little bit different way. Um, here's, here's the second idea. The second idea is to establish a plan. 
A plan increases your motivation and it will sustain your momentum. A plan uh, is as simple as saying, I want to read through the Gospel of Luke, for instance. And March 1st through Easter, that's what we're going to do, by the way. We're going to do that together. We're going to give you a plan uh, during that period of time. And, and here's what we know. By establishing that plan, we're going to give you a bookmark with all the readings. Many of you are going to do what you thought was impossible. You're going to read a book of the Bible over the course of that 40 days simply because we gave you a plan that you can follow. Again, it will create motivation and it will sustain momentum. Uh, I even go so far as to think about what my next plan is going to be because if I don't, I know I'll just kind of flounder for a little bit till I find what the plan needs to be. I would encourage you, this is a little bit of expression here, but I would encourage you, I know a lot of you look for like the daily Bible reading plans and they give you, hey, here's what you're supposed to read on January uh, 29th, and uh, here's what you're supposed to read on the 30th and 31st. Those are wonderful. I would encourage you to think about a portion of the Bible and just thinking about reading it straight through, and here's why. Many of you have quit the plan because you got three days behind. And you just thought, Jesus is so mad at me. I just can't believe how mad he is at me. And you felt guilty and you felt bad. But when you establish a plan and say, I want to I read through the Psalms, and you miss a day, you just pick up the next day. Uh, and, and you don't have that, that feeling. Uh, you don't associate that with, well, I'm behind. Or No, you're not. You're, you're making time for what you think is valuable. But, but setting a plan uh, is, is very helpful. I just would encourage you to not be too legalistic in the way you think about getting ahead or, or being behind. The third thing is to find a method. Uh, a method is simply a pattern that you follow to ensure that you invest your time well. And since many of you have no idea what this is, let me walk you through the simplest method that you could ever hear and I, if you don't have a method in your life, I would simply encourage you to start here and see what that might become as you think about how that is expressed in your own life. The first uh, step in the method is to read the Scripture. could be a verse. could be six verses. could be a chapter. could be ten chapters. But you read the Scripture, and along the way, you make observations about the Scripture. Observations are as simple as writing down the questions that come up as you read through the Scripture. And if you're brand new, if you've never opened a Bible, guess what? You're going to have a lot of questions. That's okay. The purpose of writing down questions, the purpose of making observations is not so that at the end of that time, you will find the answers to all those questions. The purpose of this is to get curious about what you are reading to spark your mind and to uh, soften your heart for learning and growing as you invest in the scriptures. So very, uh, uh, very real example. This morning, I was reading in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus refers to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 as Simon, son of Jonah. And I read that and I thought, I didn't know Peter's dad's name was Jonah. Is, was Peter's dad's name Jonah? Was that, is that anywhere else in the gospel? I do not have an answer for that yet. But that's one of the questions from this morning is why, why does he refer to him as Simon, son of Jonah? Is that his dad's name? And one of the reasons I asked myself that question is because just before that, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who are demanding a sign of him. And he says, no sign is going to be given except for the sign of Jonah. And I'm just wondering to myself, I wonder if his dad's name really was Jonah. 
Or maybe Jesus is communicating something in this between this moment that happened before and here. I don't know, but hey, that's just a question. I don't have an answer, but it's just a way of engaging your curiosity about what you are reading. Um, I put on your uh, little note page there the three questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about humanity? What does it say about relationship? Those are three ways of kind of teasing your mind and your heart, softening your heart and opening up your mind to, to learn. The last step is to name the application. Name the application. And what that means is that at the end of that time, that may be 50 questions that you just wrote down to claim something to say, this is, this is what I am taking away as valuable from this time that I have given this morning or whenever, whenever it is that you do that. An application might be a couple of different things. It might be a truth to remember. So you might read Psalm 139, for example. And the truth to remember out of that time might be, God knows me. God knows me. God knows my life. God, God knows what I'm struggling with. And I, the truth that I want to carry throughout the day or the truth that I want to remember as I'm closing out my day is that God knows me and he loves me. A question to ponder. Was Peter's dad's name Jonah? <laughs> or the question might be, you're, you're reading in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus says that those who uh, want to follow him must take up their cross daily and follow him. And so the question might be, well, where's that cross going to be today, Lord? And I'm going to carry that question with me throughout the day, because it just might be that there's going to be a moment where I actually get to do what what Jesus has challenged me to do, an action to take. Let me just give you a totally hypothetical example, okay? Let's imagine that you're sitting in your blue chair that you inherited from your father-in-law, okay? And at the end of the time, the action might be God telling you, David, let's just say your name is David, get out of your chair and go tell your wife you're sorry, Totally hypothetical. I mean, it could happen to you. I don't know. That might be the action to take. Because remember what, remember what Paul said? Teaching, correcting, rebuking. Sometimes what the scripture does is it rebukes you. And it says, get out of your chair and go say you're sorry. It reminds you that there's a path that leads to life and only a few people find it. And get back on the path by going and saying you're sorry. Sometimes it's an action that you take. It can be any or a number of those things, but it's simply claiming something at the end of the time uh, that you are going to uh, claim as the value that you received uh, from, from the investment of that time. The last idea is to remember the goal. Remember we said the goal is the formation of a heart that leads to, a whole, to the living of a holy life. You should never, ever, never, ever, ever, never allow this time to be anything less than that. You might think of it this way, that it's the space that allows you to invest in Jesus and for Jesus to invest himself in you. If nothing else, if nothing else, it's creating space in your life, a space where you not only are investing yourself in this relationship, but also you are creating space in your life to allow Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to invest in you. And sometimes, just, just this may be helpful for you to think about, I say sometimes, I would say maybe oftentimes, what that is, is 
space for us to come to an understanding and awareness of what the Spirit is already doing in our life. So in other words, it isn't as if that morning, oh, I'm sorry, it was a hypothetical. Going back to the hypothetical, it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit just decided, you know, I should tell David to say he's sorry. What was more likely happening all along the way was, you should say you're sorry, 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 you should say you're sorry. But there's that space that we create where we hear something that maybe we didn't hear we didn't hear before. It may not be the most mind-mending, earth-shattering, amazing truth, but over the course of your life, over the course of the investment of that time, as you consistently return to it, you are giving space for the Spirit to work in your life. If you leave today, take this, uh, take this little handout, stick it in your Bible, but if you leave today and you still think to yourself, I don't know, I feel ill-prepared, I don't have a degree, what if I get this wrong? Here's the last two things I want to mention to you. Don't discount that something supernatural is at work when you read the Bible. Do not discount that. Do not discount that the Spirit is working in your life. And the Spirit at work in your life is guiding you, encouraging you, nurturing you, perhaps at times rebuking you, leading you towards the path that leads to life. There is a spirit at work in your life. And even if at the end of the time, you may mistakenly walk away with the wrong application, the spirit is even at work in that. It's about the consistent return, the practice of investing in the scriptures and following the leading of the Spirit as best as you can determine it. Over the course of your relationship with God, you will get better at your relationship with God in the same way that you get better at relationships with one another. Because you'll learn. You'll learn God even as God helps you learn yourself. Second thing is don't discount that the Spirit of God is working in the community of people who surround you. And so when you find yourself at the end of a reading wondering, was Peter's dad's name Jonah? <laughs> you can turn to the community around you and say, guys, help me out. If you know anything that I don't know, come see me after the service because I'm wondering was Peter's dad's name Jonah? There are people around you. Talk about what you're reading. Ask them the same questions that you're struggling with. Share with them the truths that you're remembering and claiming. Remember that God is at work in the community around you. And that one of the ways that we know that we are following the leading of the Spirit is by the affirmation of the people that surround our life. This is what determines whether or not this series has lasting value for you in your life. Whether it makes a difference in the way you are spending your life each and every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that each and every person that is here this weekend leaves encouraged. That they leave, Lord, perhaps a little bit more confident than how they felt when they walked in. And, Lord, whatever their level of desire may have been when they walked in, that also it would be at least one notch higher. 
we, Lord, turn to this uh, out of our conviction, or maybe for some, Lord, just the suspicion that these are words of life. And so we pray that your spirit would continue to work. We trust that it will to lead us and guide us in the way that you say leads to life everlasting. Lord, help us to create the space for that work to occur. In Jesus' name, amen.